Well, if you have your Bibles or phones or whatever it is uh, you brought, Luke 15 is where we're going to be at. Uh, Luke 15. And it's a story I trust that we're, that we're really familiar with. And it's the story of the prodigal son. Um, and uh, uh, I love this story. I, I just love it and everything about it. Uh, and it's continued impact on me and how I think about the gospel, how I think about Jesus and the world. Luke 15 Uh, I want to read starting in verse 11. We'll go down to verse 32. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that has come to me. He divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants." He arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and your father has killed a fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and treated him, but he answered his father, Look, these many years I've served you, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came... Who's devoured your property with prostitutes? You killed the fattened calf for him. He said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad, for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Let's go to the Lord quickly in prayer. Our Father asks, as, as always, that we would, uh, you would open our hearts, that we would receive your word, our, our mind that we would understand it, and our eyes that we would see your glory. In our ears that we would hear and heed your word. In our mouth we would speak the truth of the gospel to ourselves, to one another in love, and to uh, this lost and dying world around us. We open our hands and our feet that we, will be, that we will go in obedience to Christ, transformed by the power of Jesus. And may I decrease so that you can increase. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. Several years ago there was a... Um, there was an artist who was out yard selling. No doubt his wife was dragging him to that, at least if he was married to my wife. And, and he's out yard selling and he sees in, in the back an old painting, a painting that wasn't worth much. In fact, he only paid $7 for it. He took this painting home and he was looking at it. Now, now before you think you know how the story ends, what this is not is he happened to find the missing Van Gogh painting we've been looking for all these years, right? It's not a, he didn't buy a $7 painting and come to find out it was worth a million dollars. Rather, this painting was worth $7. What anything fancy about the painting? It's just a boring painting that was put in someone's yard sale. And one man's junk is still another man's junk in this story. But this was an artist. 
And he saw something different in this painting. So he, so he took it home and he, he really went to work at, at, at this painting. He, he stripped off what it didn't need and he added this and that. And he really made it his type of arts. So he brought it to his gallery. And there when you walk into his gallery, you'll find plenty of paintings that were up to $25,000 a piece. But then in that gallery, he always had a separate room. Here he put his most Priceless, uh, uh, priceless works back there. And so he took this painting he bought for $7, reworked it and remastered it, and he, he put it up on the wall, and he, he centered the lights on the painting so that you could see every little detail of it. He put rope around so, so that you couldn't get too close to it, lest, lest you squander its, its masterful work. And he, 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 he made it the, the lone spectacle in this room, and he sold it for a million dollars. What changed? It was still a $7 piece of artwork in the art sale. What changed was the artists and the price tag he put on it. See, when an artist knows what he's doing, he transforms it. It goes from junk in a yard sale to a work of art worthy of a million dollars. What we have here in the story is precisely that. And what we have here is the third of three parables that Jesus tells. The lost uh, sheep being one, the lost coin being the other. And now we see the two lost sons. And so what you have here is a sequence uh, that you'll see in all three parables. But and that includes uh, the two stories that, that you have here. You have lost and then followed by seek followed by discover, and then finally rejoice. And this is the outline you get, again, in all three of these, these major parables. But you'll see it twice here in this parable. Verses 11 to 16 is the lost, uh, of, of the lost son, the younger son. Now, to appreciate the, the prodigal son story, you have to understand shame um, and honor culture. That is the ancient uh, 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 Roman world at this time, Jewish world at this time. We're, we've become more of that, but this was very much so that. And, and so the worst thing you could do is to bring shame upon yourself, shame upon your family, your family's legacy, or to your community. The worst thing you can do to the world is bring shame upon them. And shame is all over this story. For example, in 11 to 16 is the shame of the son, right? Think about it. He comes up and says, Dad, I'd like to have my inheritance. Now, you don't have to live in the first century Jewish world to understand what that means. If, if you went up to your parents and said, Mom, Dad, I'd like to have my, my, my inheritance, what are you essentially saying to them? I wish you would just hurry up and die, but I'm tired of waiting for you to die. Just give me what's mine, and I'm, 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 I'm out of here, right? So, so what we would expect is for the father to, to defend his own honor to slap his son across the face in this culture. You don't wish death upon your parents. Regardless, he, he makes the request and then he, he takes the money his father gives him. He runs off to the land of the Gentiles. Good Jewish boys don't do that. He goes to the Gentiles and he squanders it on, on loose living, on prodigal, wasteful living. Now, he has no investment plans for this money, right? Now, now if he went to your parents and said, Mom and Dad, I just finished school. I want to start a business. Here's my plan. Here's my portfolio. Here's, here's everything. I just need some, an investment in this. Could I have my inheritance now to invest in this? Maybe then your parents will say, well, that makes sense. 
You're going to do something wise and, and, and whatnot with, with the money. Maybe that'll work. It's not what this kid does. He rather says, Dad, I want my money and I want it for me. And, and, and I just assume you were dead to me. So he goes to the Gentiles, waste it like crazy to the point he, he has to cling. The, the Greek word there is he, he, he almost grabs a hold of the, the pig farmer's legs and won't let go until he says, well, okay, go feed the pigs. Again, this is a good Jewish boy, supposedly. And it's bad enough he's with the Gentiles, but now he's working among the pigs. And there's nothing more unclean or shameful in this society, Jewish society, than that. Related to that is the shame of the father. We've already mentioned that, that it was shameful that his son brought shame to the family by making the request. It's equally shameful that he gave in to that request. He goes to the bank. He talks to his lawyer. He, he, he gives the youngest son his share and gives it to it. Again, an honorable father wouldn't do this. And so they split their ways. The father stays home with the farm. And the elder brother, by the prodigal, goes off and wastes it. The, the text tells us he, he wasted it even with, with prostitutes and, and devouring property. Well, inevitably, what happens is the money runs out. I don't know if you know how that works. Uh, our church is full of state workers, and they have no concept of the number zero, okay? Right? <laughs> you know, because they don't make money. It's, it's, just, it's just there. And so, so eventually, he runs out of money. He's not made any investments. He has no money coming in. Eventually, he just runs out of money. And so they're feeding pigs, starving to death. He comes to his senses, the, 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 the language Jesus uses there. And, and he, he, he says two things. Number one, his confession is, I have sinned. I have shamed my father. I have shamed our good name. I've shamed our community. I have sinned. The other thing is he rationalizes he, to, he can make restitution. So he, he says there in verse 19 that I will go and make things right. I'll go and make myself one of my father's slaves and I will pay off everything I took from him. Now, he knows that is going to be a, quite the job. Think about it. Let's say you borrowed a million dollars from your folks. Your father is wealthy and that, that is your inheritance. And then you come back and say, Dad, to pay off that million dollars plus interest, I will work from minimum wage. How long is it going to take you to pay that off? You won't. You'll never pay that off. But nevertheless, he, he, he commits himself. I'm going to go and I'm going to make it right. Now, here we all agree with the prodigal, don't we? It's the very least he could do. It's the very least he could do is to come home apologize publicly and privately, make restitution, try to restore the family honor. He has, he has squandered his position as son. He's brought great shame upon them. In fact, his family probably held a funeral for him, considered him dead. So this is his plan. Well, that's him lost. Notice verse 20 is him seeking. Now, we've already seen the son seeking the father, right? When he comes to his senses, he, he will seek after the father. But what's striking is in verse 20, we see the father seeking after the son. 
It says, and he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran to him. When, when I was a kid in my mom and dad's house, uh, they have this long driveway and you go out on the road and, and it, it bends around. So, so where you're standing up at the top of their house, nearly a mile away, you can see people coming up the street that are soon about to pass the house. And I remember whenever I was a kid, if I had a buddy going to come over and spend the night. I would stand out in, in our yard and I would just stare over the horizon, just knowing at any minute my buddy's mom's van, right, minivan is going to come up there. And that means he's in it. And that means he's, he's got toys that I don't have that we get to play with and we get to hang out. It's going to be a great night. And I would just look and long for the minute that that van came. And when he came, I, I would get so excited. I'd say, Mom, Dad, uh, my friend is here, right? And that's what the father is doing. He, he is looking over the horizon. He's waiting for the day that his son comes, and he can't wait till that day comes. He's been longing for this day, praying for the day that his son comes. And finally, he can see right over the horizon as the sun is setting. He can see the silhouette of his son dragging himself, smelling the high heaven like pigs. He can see him there, and he gets so excited. And there we have more shame, right? What we would expect is, is, is for when, when we have this seeking, it turns to the discovery. And what we'd expect is for the father happens to see his son over the horizon to immediately go into the house and hide. And the son would enter into the community. And with each house he passed, with each step he took, the neighborhood would come out. And they would heap shame upon him. How dare you do this? Who do you think you are? I can't believe you even showed up over here. Do you know what, what shame and hurt and dishonor you've brought your family? Let me tell you what, what it was really like. Let me tell you how bad you've wounded your parents. Let me tell you the burdens your brothers have taken upon you. Let me tell you what's happened in our community since you're not welcome here anymore. That's what, that's what we would expect to happen. Instead, upon the discovery of his son, the father runs to the son before he enters the community. Which means at this moment, the shame that was reserved for the son is now being heaped upon the father. See, noblemen don't run at the risk of exposing themselves. It was beneath them to have to run. But here he, he sprints, the language is, and he, he can't wait to get out there. So all that shame preserved for the son is now, now heaped upon the father. What a shameful man you are. You call yourself a good Jewish boy, a head of the household. This is unacceptable. This is, you're, you're ashamed of your father now. But he doesn't care. He, he runs out there. He grips his son, holds fast to him. And in verse 22, we get the speech of confession and restitution the son prepared, okay? Verse 22, um, or verse 21 rather. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And that's where it stops. And then it says, verse 22, but the father said to his servants, bring the best robe, put the ring on his finger, kill the fatted calf. It's as if the father interrupts the son in the narrative. Remember, his speech is, I've sinned against heaven and against you. 
Make me as one of your hired servants, your slaves, and I'll pay you back. The father doesn't let him do that second part. Why? Because it would be an insult to grace. Because, because he knows that he can never pay his father back. You see, the undying love of the father was greater than the deep and abiding wickedness of the son. That is grace. And that leads to rejoicing. It's verse 23 to 24. The, the symbolism of, of the robe and the ring, all that is symbolism of adoption. He, he's now been adopted not as a slave, but as a son with the full rights of any son that, that he had before and now he has again. But also remember that they likely would have mourned him as, as a lost son, as a dead son. And so, so now they essentially have a son that's been raised from the dead. He's, he's back. They never thought they'd see him again. This is a cause of celebration. He was lost and has been found. This is a time of rejoicing. And you read that story, and that's usually where we, we end the story. And, and if only that's where the story ended, right? It's a good story, right? Uh, he, he wanders off, right? And he comes back, right? The end, right? I, I like those kind of stories. But then we discovered there's another son. And, and this second half follows the same trajectory of lost, seek, discover, rejoice. Notice in verse 25 to 28, the son, this older son, he too is lost. Now his older brother was in the far field. And you notice there that the, the, the younger son was in a distant field. He was in a distant land. This son is in the far field. You see, the language is to mirror that, that the only difference is proximity. But we are to see that they are both on the outside. They are both at a distance. And that we would expect the older brother to celebrate the return of his younger brother. But that's not what he does. We expect him to join the party, but he refuses. And if the prodigal mimics the the stereotype of the wicked, the older brother mimics the stereotype of the self-righteous religious folks that Jesus is addressing at this time. Again, he is outside the camp. He is lost. So much so he sends someone to find out what is going for him. But just like we see with the prodigal, the father seeks the older son who is lost. You'll notice there in verse 28, um, his father came out and entreated him. So just as the father had to go into the community to, to grab his son, so the father here goes into the field to, to speak to his son. It's the same story all over again. The father seeking the son. Yet despite the father's best efforts, the older brother refuses to join in the celebration. And he demonstrates he's equally wicked as the younger son. Notice there in verse 29 how he addresses his father. Look here, right? Now, let me give you some advice. I'm a dad uh, myself. Don't talk to your dad like that, right? <laughs> you know, it's like, look here, pops. This is the way it's going to be. Don't do that, okay? Just avoid that, all right? Uh, you know, turn off that road and go another direction, okay? Don't, don't do that, okay? Um, but that's exactly what he does. Look here. Again, that is a shameful thing to say to your father. You have to say, well, father, this is what I think about it. Dad, this is what's going on. It's like, look here, old man. Likewise, you, you notice that he refers to his brother as that son of yours. You know that other kid that I've picked on my entire life? Well, 
what's his name again? I, I can't seem to remember it, you know. When he left, I just forgot he even existed. Didn't like him before, don't like him now. But you'll notice what he's doing. He recites to his father his resume. Well, I never abandoned you. I never asked for inheritance. I've been a good Jewish boy. I've done everything you've asked. I never, never asked anything in return. Aren't I a good person? Look at my resume. I've worked hard. I've kept all the rules. You'll notice his obedience to the Father was not rooted in love, but in pride. Love serves and obeys, not to get and to be given. The older son wants the younger son, uh, wants what the younger son wanted his father's inheritance, to be his own man, to set up his own kingdom. The younger son was public about it. Hey, dad, give me my money. I'm out of here. The older son was private in his rebellion. If I just play by the rules, this will all be mine and I could do things the way they ought to be. My incompetent father, he ain't got that much longer to live. It's the same thing. One goes about it in, in, in a more public way of rebellion. The other does it in a more private way, mere in religion. But notice the discovery in verses 31 to 32. He said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He's lost and he's found. And what a good explanation that is. He's returned home. It's a time to celebrate. You know, my brother lives in Kansas. My sister lives in Mississippi, which meant they left me in Kentucky to take care of our aging parents. And I don't find that funny at all, right? You know, it's like, guys, guys, I, I knew I should have taken that job in Niger, Africa, right? You know, um, so they're already like, yeah, when the day comes, you can put up with cleaning out the house, right? You know, mom's a hoarder. It's like, thanks, guys. Um, but when they do come home, and it's not often, sometimes it's every 12 months, 18 months, or even 24 months, but when they do come home, our schedule stops and we celebrate. We get caught up on everything. We go out to eat and we, we see old friends and we do all of that. It makes sense. But at the same time, one can imagine the older son's motivation. Play the part go along, be honorable, and all that you ever desired will be yours. He'll inherit the vast kingdom of a shameful father. He'll have a seat in the city square. He'll have wealth, respect, and honor so long as he plays the parts. And this is precisely how religious culture works, whether in the traditional sense or in the secular sense. If, if you post the right things, if you act the right way, if you go through all the motions, if you don't disrupt the, the status quo, if you just do what you're asked, you'll get what's yours in the end. You see, it's not conviction he's li living by. It's convenience. You'll notice that this story has a terrible ending. It has a terrible ending because it has no ending. 
Have you ever watched the show, right? And, and, you know, finally they release it on Netflix, so you watch the first season. You're not actually keeping up with the show. And then, you know, you, you're, you're like into the second season, like this really good show. And then, and then you get to the last episode. You're like, wow, what a cliffhanger. I can't wait to season three. And then you Google it. One season three coming out on Netflix to discover there will be no season three, right? right? My wife and I did that about a year or two ago. And, and I'm sitting there like, Surely a writer is going to give me a three-sentence summary of what season three is going to be about, right? I, what happens to these people, right? And, and it, it's miserable. What happens to these characters? And isn't that what you're wondering here? Think about all the questions that are left unanswered. Did the older brother ever come in to celebrate? Did he listen to any reason? Did the love of the father compel this older brother to, to respond? Did a prodigal plead, go out there and plead with his, his older brother? Come in and rejoice. What, what became of the two brothers, right? Did they ever reconcile? Or was there constant tension? And, 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 and did they each get to get an inheritance in the end? Was the family reconciled and reunited in the end? What really happened with these? Well, what if I told you I found the script? I know exactly how it ends. I didn't find it. I'm stealing this from John MacArthur, but, but I found the scripts. The father's plea there, it was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Can I tell you what happened after this? The father turned it around, disappointed that the older brother just would not respond. And as he starts to step away, the older brother picked up a large rock lying there on the ground and beat his father over the head until he was dead. The end. How do I know that's the end of the story? I didn't make it up. I found the scripts. The context of these parables of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost sons is to the religious elites who are sick and tired of Jesus. He's sick and tired of Jesus seeking the lost. They're sick and tired of Jesus looking for the sheep, rejoicing over the coin, and seeking the lost son. And in this final plea, Jesus puts them in the parable. Here the Father is seeking you now. What will you do with it? You keep reading Luke. They won't use a rock. They'll use nails. That's how the story ends. It's a terrible ending, isn't it? Unless Christ is risen from the dead. And when he's risen from the dead, we have a Savior who continues to seek that which is lost. See, we have two sons here, and they embody two types of people. And I suspect, and I'm confident in saying, you are one of them this evening. On the one hand, you are like the prodigal who you, you, you feel like now that you're in college, you're liberated from all that. You don't have to follow the rules. What happens in Moorhead stays in Moorhead. No one else needs to know. 
These decisions I'm making, the places I'm going, the things I'm doing, the, 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 the things I'm thinking about and reorganizing and deconstructing my life, right? That, that's, that's my business. I can do whatever it is that I want. Let me encourage you today. Maybe you're here because you feel like you've hit the rock bottom of pig slop that you've been eating all this time. The good news I have for you is that you have a loving father and, and, and his son, Jesus Christ, who seeks and saves the lost, if you will but discover that. And that is a cause to rejoice. Or maybe you're here because you're a good Christian kid. You're a young man who, who, who had it all figured out when you're in high school. You're a leader in your youth group, and you would even speak occasionally at church. And everyone was so proud of you, and all the older women would say, if only we had more young men like you. Or maybe you're, you're a good Christian girl, right? And, and, and you've got everything going the right way, and, and, and no one would ever expect anything bad about you because you've got all the Bible answers, and you do everything the way your parents wanted you to, and your, your, your church upbringing expects of you. And you can report this Sunday, uh, next Sunday morning about what a great Christian college student you are and what a lovely person you are. But if you're honest with yourself, you're just playing the part. You're just going through the motions. It's not conviction. It's convenience. You don't want to upset the apple carts. It seems safe here. And maybe you're feeling like you're at the point where this isn't adequate. There's good news for you. There is a father who sent his son who seeks sinners like you. Not with rules, but with his righteousness. Jake mentioned sardines earlier. Bless his heart. Him playing hide and seek is like Clifford the Big Red Dog playing hide and seek. You ever, you ever read that book, right? They're like, so, someone needs to tell him, right? You know? Uh, don't tell your parents I said that. That was, that was a promise of Jeff. Um, I love you too. Yeah, it's, it's like, Brother Kyle, did you really say that? <laughs> no, no, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. But I've got two kids. I've got a 13-year-old and a 10-year-old, so pray for me. I've got one teenager and one who thinks she's a teenager. And, and, um, but whenever they were little, they loved playing hide-and-seek. And they would play it all the time. The problem is they're terrible at it. So can you put the, the picture up of, of, of the two kids? There they are, right? This is my daughter on the left. This is my son on the right, right? And so, and, and, and they, they're a lot of fun to play, right? See, they believed that if you couldn't see their face, you couldn't see them, right? I mean, that's, it's, 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 it makes sense, I guess, if you, you're in a child's mind, but it's, it's, it's foolishness, right? <laughs> But they, they were terrible at this. I mean, you can walk into, this is my, my home church here on the right, my son. Uh, he got really bored and wanted to play hide and seek at some event. And uh, uh, his legs were just sticking out. Um, but what's great about little kids when they play hide and seek is, is they don't want to be found. Yet. Right? I bet you did something like this whenever you were little. I remember one time I was playing hide and seek with my brother and sister. And, and, and I found a really good hiding spot. It didn't break my neck like Jake, but, but it was a really, really good hiding spot. And then I noticed this. My sister was looking. She's like, where's Kyle? Where's Kyle? And, and, and I was like, she'll never find me here. And she walked right by me. And I thought, she'll never find me here. And I realized, she may never find me here. Oh, my God. Right? Panic started to set into, into my life. Like, what am I going to do? So I stuck out. 
by foot. And she came by again and says, where's Kyle? Where's Kyle? I'll never find him. Where does he go? And she didn't see my foot. And so she went by. I stuck out my leg. What did I want? She came back again and said, I don't know where he is. It's a really good hiding spot. And she walked right by me again. So I stuck out both legs. What did I want? Whenever we go looking for the kids and they're hiding. And, and you'll say, where's Elijah? Where's Evangel? You'll hear a giggle. What do they want? I'll tell you what they want. They want to be found. And maybe you're here. And you see yourself in, in, in the story of the prodigal or in the story of the Pharisee. And, and, and you feel like you've been playing hide and seek. Living a lie. Living inconsistently. Living whatever it might be. And maybe tonight is that night. You're just sticking that leg out. What is it that you want? Let's pray.